Good morning. The reading from the Old Testament this morning is from Psalm 139, 1 through 16. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful every day for your word. We ask that you open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to hear the message that you have for us in this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear these beautiful words. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even your hand shall, shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, and the darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Thank you, Susan. I know last Sunday was a very icy Sunday, uh, so this room was not nearly as full at 8.30, and uh, it was also a a Sunday when many people were still on vacation. So just for the sake of uh, continuity and understanding, I want to provide a brief summary of last week's message as we head into this morning's text. Last week, we began our journey through Galatians, uh, a new sermon series entitled, The Gospel Changes Everything. I've chosen Galatians because... In the book of Galatians, Paul makes it very clear what the gospel is and what it is not. As you read the opening verses of Paul's uh, letter to the Galatians, you can see that he's pretty upset with the church because they have begun to listen and believe in a different gospel than the one that Paul had originally preached to them. Now, Paul wrote Galatians around 48 AD. If you read uh, Acts chapter 13 and 14, you'll see that Paul on his first missionary journey uh, went through uh, the region of Galatia, the southern part of Asia, Asia Minor, to this region of cities like Iconium and Lystra and Derbe and Antioch of Pisidia. And he went to these cities and he would proclaim the gospel in the synagogue and then he would preach and people would come to Christ and, and then he'd begin to be persecuted so he'd have to flee to a different city and he continued to preach the gospel. But everywhere he preached, the church was planted and created. And now he writes this letter right before Acts 15. If you read Acts 15, you'll see that that's the story of the Jerusalem Council. Right before that, it's believed by most scholars that Paul wrote uh, the churches to Galatia. 
because he was very concerned that they've begun to turn from a gospel that was not the original gospel of grace that Paul had preached to them. As he talked about last week, the gospel of grace that Paul originally preached to the great Galatians is all about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The gospel of grace points to the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And then on the third day, he rose again from the dead, proving to be victorious over sin and death on our behalf. The gospel of grace is all about what Jesus has done, not about what we need to do to be accepted by God. The gospel of grace helps us see that God loves us before we ever love him. That God has a plan for us. That God wants to redeem us. God wants to save us. The gospel of grace lets us know that there's nothing that we can do to make God love us anymore. For God has demonstrated the full extent of his love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And as Jesus says in the gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 13, no greater love is there than this than a man who's willing to die for his friends. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. He's already demonstrated the full extent of his unconditional, sacrificial love for us. That's the gospel of grace. And all that we simply do is receive that gospel, that good news, that grace as the free gift that it is through faith. After Paul had preached the gospel of grace to the Gentile Christians in the towns of Galatia, some Jewish Christians came and told these Gentile Christians that they really want to be accepted by God. They also need to be circumcised. Now, can you imagine just for a moment, you're a Gentile Christian living in the first century. You met the apostle Paul. He told you about Jesus you believed the message, you came to faith in Christ, you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, you were, you were even baptized, and you're doing all that you can to follow Jesus. And then these Jewish Christians come and tell you that, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. It reminds me of the old TV show, Different Strokes, when uh, uh, Gary Coleman's character would look at Willis and say, what are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> what are you talking about? i got to be, what? Paul never mentioned being circumcised. I mean, I've got to imagine that was a pretty hard sell for those Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians. Oh, and by the way, you've got to be circumcised, as if it's some kind of simple add-on. Acts 15, though, tells us in Acts 15, verse 1, we read this. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You won't be saved unless you're circumcised. Wow. It's interesting that these Gentile Christians had heard the gospel of grace, they had believed it, and yet these Jewish Christians come and begin to tell them a very different message of what they need to do to be saved and what they need to do to be accepted by God. And they believed him. And as you read the letter of Galatians, you'll see that some are even willing to go through such a a crazy procedure, a radical procedure, for the sake of Jesus. Why do you think they were willing to even consider circumcision? The truth is, the gospel of grace, as good as it is, out of gratitude for what God has done for us, compels us to change, doesn't it? In gratitude for what God has done for us, we know that we want to change. We don't want to remain the same. And in light of what Christ has done for us, we want to honor that with our lives. Now, see, these Galatian, these Gentile Christians, in their ignorance, were willing to do whatever they could to change for Christ so they might bring glory to Christ. Well, in order for us to know how the gospel of grace should change us, not according to circumstances, but what the gospel of grace calls us to do is change, and how we ought to change 
specifically. I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. It may be found on page 1235 of your pew Bible. Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. For I would have had you known, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please join me as you pray. Holy Spirit, please speak through me and Martin as we share your word. The words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. It's clear from our text this morning that we just read that Jewish Christians were were beginning to question Paul's apostleship, but they were arguing that, you know, Paul was not one of the original 12 disciples, and so the gospel message that Paul was preaching was secondhand or thirdhand. And to counter this, the apostle Paul makes it quite clear in our text this morning that the gospel that he preached came directly from God. From verse 11 we read, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. While the Apostle Paul was not one of the original twelve who had lived with Jesus during the three years of his ministry, the Apostle Paul did encounter the risen Christ while Paul was on the road to Damascus to go and kill Christians. God blinded Paul, and, and Paul cried out to God. You can read about it in Acts 9. And, and then he says, Lord, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And then God called Paul to preach this gospel of grace to Gentiles. Paul wants it to be known that the gospel he preached to them didn't come from man. It came directly from God. Paul then strengthens his argument by pointing out that his dramatically changed life is evidence that the gospel of grace came from God. I mean, who else could have changed Paul so radically? As you read in verse 13 of our text, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. 
the pure gospel of grace that the apostle Paul received directly from God so changed his life that he went from persecuting the church to actually helping plant churches. Now, originally in Paul's zeal for God, when he went by the name Saul, a good Jewish name, when he was going by the name Saul, he was zealous for God. He'd been raised in the Jewish tradition. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. As you can read about in Acts 8 and 9, he was so zealous for God that he actually began to persecute this new movement as people were proclaiming the name of Jesus as their Savior. He was there when they stoned Stephen, standing in approval. But Paul went to on the road to Damascus to go and kill Christians. And God got a hold of him and gave him the gospel of grace and realized that he's saved not by what he does, but rather by what Jesus has done for him. And that gospel that Paul preached forever changed his life. Do our lives, do our lives point others to the gospel of grace? When people look at us, can they see how the gospel of grace has changed our lives? When did you first understand the gospel of grace exactly? And how has the gospel of grace changed your life? Because if we look at the Apostle Paul, we can see that the gospel of grace, the gospel of grace that Jesus saved us, that he died on a cross and rose again, that gospel message should change everyone who believes. As an example of how the gospel of grace changes us, I've asked Martin Sandoval, member of our congregation to tell his testimony, his story of what grace means to him and how grace has changed his life. Martin. Hello. Uh, again, uh, let me uh, clear up right now. Uh, before I get started, I do not want to glorify any of the mistakes that I've made in my life. Uh, there's been many, many, many things. And for anybody listening, there is sin is fun. That's why we fall into it. Uh, so, in saying that, I was born in 1962 uh, in a house, three months premature, I was one pound, taken in a washcloth to the hospital. Uh, once I was at the hospital, my mother said a priest was summoned because they said, You're not, this kid is not going to make it. The priest came in and said, I'm going to baptize him. What would you call this young man? My grandmother spoke up. She looked over. She saw an ornament on the wall. She said, there's St. Martin. Name him Martin. My aunt says, but wait, his middle name should be David. Because David in the Bible is a man who made many mistakes, but always sought God. So I am Martin David Sandoval. We were very, very poor. My mother had to bring us to Texas. Uh, I was one of five I had my own father. My mother was single. My aunt made an arrangement with a woman that we could stay in a small house behind uh, her house. We had no refrigerator, no stove. My mother had an ironing board. We slept on a bed spring, basically, with blankets. My mother slept on the floor. She ironed clothes for people. That's what she did to feed us. We used the people's stove and refrigerator every time they came home. As a child, you don't know that you don't have. But I knew in doing that growing up uh, that, you know, other kids in the neighborhood didn't have stuff either. So my mother met my stepfather years later. They were to have three more children. They moved us to the northeast side of town. There, 
uh, I entered uh, school at third grade, going to the office my first day of school because a kid stabbed me in the knee and called me a dirty Mexican. I stabbed him in the face with my pencil. I thought that was even. <laughs> sweet, sweet, dear, late Kenneth Gibson got to spend a lot of time with me in elementary school. We got to know each other very, very well. Uh, in fifth grade, I was smoking. If you could only imagine, in fifth grade. By sixth grade, I was smoking marijuana. By the time I got into what they call junior high, high school, I was doing other drugs. I continued along that journey in a worldly, worldly fashion, doing whatever it is that I wanted to do. I was working, giving money to my mother so we could help, but at the same time doing what I wanted to do. I was uh, just basically a bad kid. My mother finally got weary of that, and by the time I was 16, threw me out. At 16, at 3 o'clock in the morning, she said, wherever you've been is where you want to be, so go there. Well, that only sent me in a spiral. I still graduated. I just stayed with different people. I actually moved in with my drug-dealing brother, which was a great idea at that age. So I grew up really, really quick, didn't have a childhood, didn't really think much about it. I thought, hey, I'm cool. I can go to the bars. I can do this. I can do that. I got myself deeper and deeper into stuff. My brother worked out avidly. He helped me to work out. I wanted to be big. I wanted to be a bodybuilder. And so I continued to do that. And along the way of the bodybuilding came an opportunity that somebody said, hey, are you a stripper? Are you a male dancer? You've got long hair. You're big. Well, as it would be, I actually became a Chippendale dancer. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, that must have been glamorous. Oh, it was wild, okay, quite a ride. But let me tell you, there are so many things you can do in life that just scar you emotionally. You don't respect women. You don't respect anything. And money can be a biggest danger in the world. I had plenty of money. I had plenty of women. And I can always remember sitting in a swimming pool with women surrounding me with lots of money in my room, lots of drugs in my room, looking up into the heavens and crying. And when people said, what's the matter? I said, I'm lonely. They said, what are you talking about? We're all here. I said, I'm very, very lonely. I want to go home. They said, why would you want to go home? You're supposed to go to Europe. I said, I want to go home. I'm lonely. They said, we'll do anything that you want. I said, doesn't matter. I came home to Amarillo and I basically tried to work myself off of cocaine and off of everything else. I even attended a church here in town with uh, an old girlfriend. I thought, I'll go to this church. The first thing they did was talk to me, dunk me in the water. We can probably guess what kind of church this was. They dunked me in the water and sent me on my way. I went to church a few times. They had a guest speaker come in from Dallas. He was very inspiring. He inspired me. And I thought, yes, I can do this. This man spoke great. I still had the long hair. I still had the earrings. But I was going to church, right? After the service, I walked up and I said, I need to speak to this man. As he was standing there with some, the main pastor and some other people, I walked up and I said, sir, I just want to say I was very inspired by what you said today. He said, well, let's hope that I inspired you enough to start dressing like a man. Well, guess what? In the world, I was treated like a king. 
in the church, I was treated like a dog. So what did I do? I ran straight back into that world. And when you come from the darkness and you run back, you go even farther. So not only this time did I go into the darkness, but I started hurting people along the way. How could those church people be so mean? After all, I got dipped in the water. Now, I had, as a child, my mother would send me to church, to the Catholic church. She would send me, not go with me, she would send me. I always found a playground back there. I was dangerously Catholic. I knew absolutely nothing about it. Okay? Now, as time went on, I came back home again. I eventually met my now ex-wife. She was a fleeing Mormon. She was running from the church. We used to get these weird phone calls, and they would say, hey, we need to meet with you. And I said, who is that? She goes, don't worry about it. I thought, wow, they're insistent. I was just enough Catholic to be scary. She was a fleeing Mormon, and we kind of almost made it to a church one time. Three years after that, I came home to an empty house. She took everything. She went and sought her way, and I don't blame her to tell you the truth. I was a mess. The world is crazy. I was doing everything else that I thought was supposed to happen in a marriage. I thought, this is the way it's supposed to be. We have money. We travel. Don't we love each other? I can buy her things. Well, when I came home and everything that I thought that was important to me was gone, even the things that I ignored, even the things that I took for granted were gone, I hit the floor and I cried out to God and I said, God, why? Why? And he answered me, because I am God and she is not. And I said, but God, God, if you'll bring her back, God, I will serve you. I'll start going to church. I'll straighten up my life. I'll do everything different. He said, you're going to do that anyway. And I said, but God, please. And he said, you're going to do that anyway. As it would be, there was a young man in my life that was a member here that over the course of time had always followed me around. I, I hated this kid at the time, Robert Wittenberg. He sought me out at the bar. He sought me everywhere. He never drank. He ruined every time I would hook up with a chick, he'd be there. And he, he'd say, you give me a ride? You give me a ride? Leave me alone. He'd say, Martin, do you know about Jesus? Don't bring that Jesus guy up again. Well, guess what? In my worst moment, when I was laying on that floor crying out to God, there was a knock at my door that evening, very late, about 10, 30, 11 at night. Robert was standing in front of my house, and he said, Martin, are you okay? I said, what are you doing here? He said, my wife and I have just returned from Japan. I took her to my parents' house, and God told me to come to your home. He's calling me to come here. He said, are you okay? And I said, no, my wife has left. Everything is gone. He said, can I talk to you about Jesus? Right then and there, I accepted Christ. He told me about grace. He told me about the love. And I can tell you all, as I'm standing here, it was like a bolt of electricity going through me. I was so excited. He said, you are forgiven for everything that you've ever done. You are in you now, Martin. He didn't tell me about church. He told me about Jesus. I stayed up. I was so excited. He left. He said, after my wife and I attend church tomorrow, 
we'll come by and take you to eat. You're going to need to eat. And I said, okay. It was 3 o'clock in the morning when he left my house. That's how we just talked back and forth that whole night. Well, at 3 o'clock, I decided to pick up the phone and call his, the house and said, Robert, would there be any way I could go to church with you tomorrow? He said, but of course you can. He said, we'll come by and pick you up. Now, in doing that, you have to understand, I was still a mess. Just because I accepted Christ didn't mean I looked the part. I was a mess physically. I hadn't eaten. I was sick. I mean, it was horrible. Robert brought me in to this back area back here when the alley was back here, and I was nervous, and I walked in. As I walked in, I thought, I'm going to go in here, and all these good people are going to judge me. I know my past. That is Satan's biggest trick is to make you wear your guilt. And I walked in, and the first thing that happened as I walked in these doors, Frida Sims turns around to me, and she said, Martin, come here. And she gave me a hug. And I thought, wow, Frida Sims hugged me. And she said, we're glad to see you. As I looked toward the stairway that day, I had just heard from someone that Mary Pate's son had a brain tumor. I thought, I'll say something to her about that. And I walked over and I said, Mary, how are you? She said, hello, Martin. I said, I heard about your son. How is he? She came down and she said, my son will always be okay. And she hugged my neck and said, how are you? And I thought, wow. I sat, I came up this row and about, oh, six rows back as Robert and I came up, I looked over and there was a woman and she was weeping in the pew. And I thought, wow, what kind of joint is this? This woman's weeping. And I sat down and said, Robert, who is that woman? He said, that's my cousin Wanda. She loves Jesus so much, sometimes she just cries. I thought, wow. Well, as I continued to come to this church over the few weeks, one, one time I was in the very back. Robert was no longer here. I was in the very back row back there. Murray and Tim Tam, the rest of them were up here, and they were commissioning a group to go to Belize. And I was sitting back there, and I was listening to him saying, we're going to need someone to drive a bus and to drive a car, so if anybody need, can do that, we would please. Well, I've been praying back there, Lord, I wish there was something I could do for these people. And he said, you're going to drive a bus? I said, I don't drive buses. I don't like buses. You're going to drive the bus. I said, no. I got up from that after the service, and I was walking into that hallway. I saw Chad Cole, a, a guy that I really didn't like all through high school. I couldn't stand the guy. And he said, hello, Martin. I said, hello, Chad. I said, Chad, I hear you're going to Belize. I said, man, I said, you guys be careful. I said, I wish there was something. He goes, you're going to drive the bus? I said, what? He said, you're going to drive the bus. Well, guess what? He introduced me to someone else, and they said, this is Martin, the guy that's going to drive the bus. I'm driving the bus. So they, they, they took me over to the Maynard's house where we had a meeting, and I walked in, and everybody's going, here's the guy that's going to drive the bus. Well, guess what? I called a few friends, and I said, guys, you want to help drive a bus to Belize? They go, where's Belize? I go, I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway, to make it short, when I was in Belize, God made me realize while I was there in the, the region where the village was at and there was children, the children 
wanted to know who this guy was that was brown like them, but was taller than them and bigger than them. They said, it's Martine. So the children cried out, Martine, 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 Martine. Well, Tim Tam told me, Martin, your mission is not here doing tal. It is out there with the children. I didn't like kids. Well, guess what? God let me know I was still a child, and I was his child. And he allowed me to live that childhood through these children and through other children. Once I got back, I volunteered to help one Sunday with Sunday school. There were fourth graders. Well, guess what? I walked in, didn't know what I was doing, didn't really go to Sunday school, and they said, how big are your arms? Well, guess what? That, that fourth grade class had me take them to the eighth grade, to the ninth grade, to the twelfth grade. I went all the way through. I've been over at A&O now for 14 years. I love it. Those children teach me so much. I'm so grateful for the grace God showed me. The message is about I am forgiven. Does that mean that I'm perfect? No. Does that mean I don't make mistakes? No. Does that mean that everything in my life lines up? No. I don't. I make a lot of mistakes every day. I have to wake up and talk myself into being nice. Okay? Let me tell you something. But I am forgiven. And I am very thankful for this congregation. I lost my mother over a year ago. I miss my mother. My mother was very proud of her son. And I'm sure that God's grace has surrounded my whole family. It surrounds this church. And I just want to let you all know, thank you so much for even listening to me. I'm humbled. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. The gospel of grace, as we look at the apostle Paul's life and we listen to Martin's life and we even think about our own lives, it changes everyone when we respond to God's grace. As you listen to Paul's story and Martin's story, you realize that God's grace is not intended to simply be hoarded, though. It's intended to be shared. And the gospel of grace moved in Paul's life in such a dramatic way that he began to share that grace with others and he began to tell others the good news about Jesus Christ. God is using Martin now to minister to others. How might God use you to share his grace with others? If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, as I share the announcement, you can go to our webpage. You can find out what your gifts are. I would encourage you to do so uh, after the service. And you can also fill out a form and find out ways you can serve. But don't limit your service to just this church. God may be calling you to minister to others and their needs in different ways throughout this community. And so I found a helpful prayer that Bill Hybels, the senior pastor of Willow Creek Church in Chicago, prays every day so that he might be an instrument of God's grace, so that he might help point others to the transforming love of Jesus Christ. And so I want to close this message with this prayer. Please pray it with me. I think it will show up here. Oh, Lord, my life is in your hands. Use me to point someone toward you today. I promise to cooperate in any way I can. If you want me to say a word for you today, I'll do that. If you want me to keep quiet and demonstrate love and servanthood, by your Spirit's power, I will. I'm fully available to you today, so please guide me by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Mark.